Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and their writing process. Today's guest is the host of the Raptors Weekly Podcast at Raptors Republic, one half of the Black Box Report column, and unequivocally the best dunker in the blogger sphere. It's Samson Folk. How are you doing, man? Wow. <laughs> wow, you really hit all the notes. You had the, the <laughs> Zach Lowe pause and introduced me as a dunker, a dunker for me. I'm, I'm, I'm sincerely flattered to be on the podcast and to receive such a, a warm welcome and description. Thank you for having me on, Josh. No problem, man. Yeah, it, I, I do the I do the pause for for low partly because it's like it's an homage, but he's his podcast is my favorite NBA podcast, and I think a lot of people's. So I always try to do that little pause there as an homage to him. And as for the dunking thing, man, let me tell you, every time I see a video of you dunking, I don't know how many you've actually taken. I feel like I've seen like maybe it's the same video or maybe it's like fifty videos. I honestly don't know, but every time I see one, it like simultaneously makes me get so hyped up, and I'm like, yes. Like, this is the most exciting thing ever. Like, I'm watching someone that I know just go up and dunk it. Because that is, like, a few and far between thing. And at the same time, I'm like, man, I I feel like... Because, like, I don't know if people know this, but I'm 6'3". I'm really lanky. I think I've dunked, I've dunked, like, legitimately twice in my life. And I've always felt like I should be able to do this more easily than I than I have been in the past. So I'm always like watching you and then I get like into the mode of like, man, I gotta, I gotta get back to working out. I gotta get serious about this. I gotta, I gotta go out and start trying to dunk too. So yeah, I, I go through a whole series of emotions every time I see one of those videos. <laughs> well, it's funny because there aren't that many videos I have because I'm not so prolific a dunker that I can just <laughs> go anytime I grab a basketball, go and put one down if i'm having a particularly bouncy day mm-hmm. i'm like okay let me set the phone down over here and try and record something and as for you being able to dunk i mean hell yeah dude even dunking twice in your life is a super big deal it's not easy to dunk at 6-3 either and i like to pretend online anytime people ask me about it um that i'm like five foot four or five <laughs> foot five in reality I'm a little bit shy of six feet, <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, we're all we're all hanging out doing our thing. But yeah. yeah, the the Zach Lowe homage also good, and I agree. It's it's kind of absurd that he's basically the best writer, but also the best podcaster in the sphere. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he gets to centralize so much of the the talent and intellect just into himself, mm-hmm. and just gets to hog all of it up. It's it's not really fair. I don't think. I know he's just he's so much talented, one human being. It's pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's I feel like it's partly because he seems so relatable. He just he seems like the kind of guy that you could just sit down and have a drink with and talk about basketball with, and like he'd be super nice and you know whatever. He's a little bit curmudgeonly, but I feel like that's just like time. Um, I think he he grew to be a, like maybe a bit of a curmudgeon because when you're at the top end of the I guess reporting. Yeah. In the NBA, you have to discern a lot based on what's spin, what's reality. And I think he has a really good sense of what is reality, and he rejects spin all the time. Mm-hmm. And since a lot of NBA media is spin all the time, I think he's rejecting tropes and narratives that other people bring up. And he's like, hey, can we just address this quick? <laughs> and he sounds kind of like, get off my lawn a little bit. But it's usually poignant yeah. and uh, informative, I think. 
That's why, honestly, I know some people don't like it, but I actually find it fascinating more than like, oh, I just want to hear this content, but more like fascinating when there's, he has the dynamic of himself and he brings on someone else that's like more like what you're saying, more about the spin, more about just the narratives. Like anytime there's a podcast with him and Bill Simmons, and I know Simmons has been under fire this week, understandably so, but he's always been that kind of guy. And so, like, anytime they have a podcast together, it's just fascinating because I'm waiting to see how many times Lowe actually, like, stops him to be like, uh, you know, can we ground this a little bit here? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, too, because there is a natural grounding that happens just by Simmons' proximity to Lowe that mm-hmm. everything gets toned down. Not everything comes full circle to the 86 Celtics or whatever <laughs> team it is. And, yeah. yeah, but it is interesting. I'm... One of my favorite things is seeing how people interact when they have, obviously, different ideas of how to act going forward, especially in the NBA, because this is our circle, this is our work, and we're trying to make it our life, Mm -hmm. to see how different people navigate these stories and narratives that define it, maybe most importantly, in the past couple weeks, Wojnarowski and how he portrayed Kyrie Irving and any type of player that dissented upon the NBA versus, let's say, black media members, how they are portraying it as well, seemingly a lot more fair. And just watching how our contemporaries navigate that space is super interesting, and especially with how tangible and I guess there's this feedback ability on Twitter where writing finds its home mm-hmm. that you can really be held accountable for it. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the NBA sphere is it's yeah, it's quite it's quite a place, especially like ever since blogging and sort of the the major outlets have sort of melded and meshed and there's people in between now and on each side and you pool all of them together in the media sites uh, in NBA arenas and yeah, it's just yeah, over the past like, you know, 10 20 years or so things have changed so much. But anyway, um that's a, that's a whole other uh, topic that um, I'm sure we should actually talk about some other times. I'm very fascinated in that. But I brought you on today because <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about uh, your massive, massive uh, list that you put out in four parts. And the last part came out today, which is why I wanted to bring you on Thursday. This will go up probably on the Friday that people will be listening to. So hopefully they've read all of it by then. But you did a top 100 players to finish the season list on raptorsrepublic.com you can go read that there if you haven't yet um so uh top 100 players that you ranked and i guess i just want to start quickly with like what compelled you to make a top 100 list because i know like we're both not particularly super fond of lists in general and um i think uh, (laughs) i think a lot of people are like that at this point um because people tend to just like to get mad at lists so um, I'm just curious in what compelled you to actually go ahead and make one and, and let alone like a top 100 list. Yeah, so the the progression of this is actually quite linear. And a lot of the things that I decide to write and some of what Lewis decides to write is we're, we're certainly not partners, but we're, we talk a lot mm-hmm. about what we're writing. And Lewis and I were talking about lists and both privately and on the forum of uh, Twitter. And Anna Jane Smith, uh, four is her at on Twitter, but Anna, who you know as well on, on Twitter, mm-hmm. she's great follow, very mm-hmm. informative, very, very smart. Um, we were talking about lists and how they are silly, but Anna kept making the compelling argument of it gives me, being her, compelling insight into what that person thinks. 
And so I thought, and there's a specific conversation I was having with Lewis where he's saying, yeah, blah, 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 lists are terrible. And I said, I'm going to write a top 100 list just to spite you. <laughs> and my, my lack of follow through in other parts of my life pales in comparison to my, I guess, I, I have a lot of follow through to, to finish a joke with Lewis. So I thought, hell yeah, I'm going to write the damn list. And being a big fan of, I guess, Rob Mahoney as well, I thought he did yeah. a fantastic job on the last Sports Illustrated list before, obviously, it became whatever it is now. Mm-hmm. And the way he wrote it, I thought, was it's so much more than a list. It's a not a love letter, but just this wonderfully descriptive and informative breakdown of 100 different players. It's almost like the order hardly even matters. And I know most people who make lists, they think the order is so important. And the order, you know, it is important. But I thought it was more important to me to honestly put so much of what I thought about each player into the list. And that's why altogether it's like the size of a small book. It's nearly 24,000 words. Mm -hmm. And I thought if I'm going to do this, the only way to do it is to try and push as much information into it and make the actual listing in order of the players as, you know, just make it the least valuable it can be and try and make the story I'm telling about each player to be as valuable. And so when I did that, I was like, okay, this is going to be fun. But I also thought I have a specific writing style that's, you know, it will change and grow and get better going into the future. But for now, I have a style which might end up being somewhat monotonous. So I reached out to a lot of writers that I admire and think have great writing styles that aren't exactly similar to mine and might contrast mine a lot. And I thought it would be great to plug in some write-ups from these people, you being one of them. And obviously, off the top of my head is Tosin, who is Nigerian Scams, who I think is super smart guy, super sharp. Yasmin, who a lot of people know from Twitter, if you're not reading her stuff, you can find the Neon Playbook, which is her NBA journal, which is shockingly, wonderfully brilliant. Um, Katie Heindel, Blake Murphy, yourself, Joshua Howe, Louis Zatzman, Michael Pina. Am I forgetting anybody? God, I hope not. I think that was everybody. Joe Wolfond, of course. Wolfond, Joe Wolfond yeah, is yeah. super, super smart. Love his stuff. And yeah, I reached out to Dan Devine. But he was regrettably, he said he was too busy for it. But I really did want to get Dan to find on. But regardless, and all those people, I said, who do you want to write about? Because if it's somebody they, they really like, I think the way that, and everybody saw it in that, I guess Kyle Lowry's mom retweeted it, but it was mm-hmm. Katie's blurb on Kyle Lowry writing about something she's passionate about. Katie, it ended up manifesting in this wonderful write-up about Kyle Lowry and a lot of people it resonated with them and they thought, this is it. This is the definitive take on Kyle Lowry. And that ended up being, it hardly contained any basketball information at all, but it Mm -hmm. was this overall description of who he is and the tangibles, or I should say intangibles of what he's been doing. Whereas a lot of my writing on the players was specifically very much on the court. And I thought having that break from a lot of different people would be great. And you picking Siakam because you like Siakam. You think he has an interesting story this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake Murphy getting to pick his his two defensive juggernauts, Chris Dunn and OG Ananobi. <laughs> yeah. And I guess 
Yasmin picking, well, Joe picking Paul Millsap because Denver Nuggets. I'm surprised he didn't pick an Indiana Pacer, but Mm -hmm. whatever. I gave Bam to Lewis. I said, Lewis, I know you love Bam. I want you to write about him. And who, Tosin writing about Draymond, who he thought was super interesting, and Giannis and Tosin being a Nigerian dude Mm -hmm. while growing up in Baltimore, but very proud of his Nigerian roots, wanting to write about um, Giannis Antetokounmpo was a great bookend to all of it. I know I'm I'm totally rambling, but just all of this put together, I thought putting a lot of – and Yasmin as well, writing about Joel Embiid, who she's super passionate about, and I think she has a really great grip on him as well. But regardless – and Michael Pena writing about Dame. Just that was also really good. Okay, I'm finished with that part of it. <laughs> but letting everybody have their voice on this, all mm-hmm. immensely talented writers, I thought would be really cool – Plus, I get to do the exercise of really trying to stretch my brain, learn about a hundred different players in new ways, their play type data, their statistical resume, and a bunch of film, defensively, offensively, the in-between. And I thought, you know what? Hell yeah, I'm going to go for it. And and so I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think like you, you put it really well there. I mean, um, you got people writing on players that, they know because they're the ones that are their favorites or that they watch often. And so there's obviously lots of focus here and having the, having that particular focus be on the players themselves rather than really it being about the list and the rankings, I think is exactly how you make a good top 100 list or top whatever list. Because usually, you know, a lot of other places it's, it's much more about the rankings or the lists and and sometimes they do polling and stuff to see if, you know, where a guy ends up and in what position. And and that's usually what the conversation is about. And then you get people talking about how tiers actually work better than the initial, you know, individual ranks and all that stuff. But that's kind of, you know, like you're saying that that's not what this list really is. It's more of just like, you know, an ode to all these players seasons and sort of condensed down into blurbs and, there's some really wonderful ones by, uh, you know, people with uh, contrasting writing styles, like you said, that are all so different, um, which is, I think, super fun and, and cool because it shows you how different people look at just NBA writing in general, sports writing in general, as well as uh, the players they're writing about. So that's pretty neat. But yeah, so like at the end of all of this and you look at your final list, do you feel like it actually reflects the season well and and all these players and like how, how the story of their seasons sort of played out until we went on to hiatus. I do because there was an element of momentum in the rankings. It's why I thought Karis Levert should be above Zach Levine. I mean, if you're looking at the whole season, mm-hmm. Zach Levine probably has a, well, he does have a, a, a nicer statistical resume than Levert. Although I think Levert is a superior defender and obviously Levert is playing on that a better team and not one that has been reliant on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant who have both been out for large amounts this season. The Brooklyn Nets still making, you know, a vie for the playoffs with basically Spencer Dinwiddie, a just back from injury, Karis LeVert, et cetera, putting mm-hmm. in work. And Malik Beasley, for example, had really nice games once he got traded to Minnesota, playing off of the gravity of Carl Anthony Towns better than most players in Minnesota do because of how he got to play off of Nikola Jokic in Denver, preparing him for that. And there are players who trend downwards. For example, Draymond Green, obviously, if motivated and on a good team, a remarkable ceiling raiser and probably 
could find his way back into the top 30 players, I'm sure, if he was being maximized. Mm-hmm. This season, though, obviously not very important to anything that was happening because the Warriors, one of the worst teams in the league, Sands, Steph Curry for a huge chunk of the season, Sands, Clay Thompson for every game up to this point, and since they're not going to be in the perhaps maybe disastrous um, NBA bubble coming up soon, just his no season at all for him. So a guy like Draymond falls really far, whereas there's players who rise a lot, and like for Brandon Ingram, for example. But And Steph Curry, who I think was ranked eighth, he was mm-hmm. just ahead of Joel Embiid, who's had you know an, uh, an up-and-down season of his own, I guess you could say. Even though he's always good, his defensive presence is, is massive. But Steph falling to eighth and not being the top point guard, I think, is representative of, of this year. But also, as I laid out before, every list was there's an element of momentum. But also, I'm writing this assuming that each team would finish the 82-game season. So even Mm -hmm. though Steph Curry, I think, wouldn't capture how good Damian Lillard would have been if they had played the extra 20 games this year, I still think he would have ended up being around the first or second best point guard in the league, even if the Warriors weren't that good. So I know it's tough to capture a season with 100 different installments of somebody's (laughs) story, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like, in each installment, even though a lot of them are very much focused on, I should say, just the on-court stuff and little quirks I see in their game rather than their overall narrative for the season, some players I feel closer tied to the story they've had this year and just more knowledgeable about that because there's some things you can't glean from film. Some players that yeah. I knew more intimately, I could tell that story a little bit more. But I did it where I could and didn't try to force it where I couldn't, I think. And I I feel very comfortable with all the rankings. And you did say maybe tiers work better or that somebody else suggests tiers work better. Mm -hmm. I think tiers do work best. I think that there are are tiers in the NBA, and I think that's probably the most effective way to group players. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things, right, where you get... You get to like the top five, and that's where, in general, with lists that a lot of people have quibbles with. And it's like, you know, once you get to the top five players in the NBA, <laughs> I mean, I, I understand anybody making an argument for any one of those guys kind of thing. So to me, it's it's not that, um, it's typically not a conversation if you're just arguing about which players individually better. It usually doesn't lead anywhere that interesting. I mean, it's they can be fun, which is, you know, that's fine too, and has its own place, but. Um, typically those aren't the types of conversations that I try to find myself in. But I'm I'm curious, do you have a personal favorite? You talked about all these other people writing blurbs. Um, I wrote one on Siakam, which was, uh, in a a way, kind of challenging because Siakam's season has been, like, like just all over the place. Um, And the Raptors in general were all over the place. So that was, uh, I ended up writing, I think, a little bit more than I I'd meant to. And you can, you can see it when you scroll down the page um, that my blurb is a little bit lengthier than some of the other ones. Um, but did you have a favorite blurb that you wrote? You talked about everybody else writing all these great, these great ones. And, and I mean, you wrote most of this yourself. So did you have a particular favorite blurb that you wrote? Because I, I have one that you wrote, but I want to hear what your thoughts are first. Um, I think John Morant. Maybe that was that was a really fun one. His game, I got to make a Mario reference. His game <laughs> is so bouncy and lively, and it's he's super fun to watch film on because you want to see 
how he navigates the pick and roll because the pick and roll is the the king thing to do if you're a guard and mm-hmm. it's it's really fun to write about John Morant as far as and there's man there's a lot of really interesting players I suspect you like me would probably love to write about role players a lot more because mm-hmm. you know it, it was easiest to rank the the players at the top of the list I think because like you were saying tiers players 95 to 120 if you were ranking there's not that much of a difference Chris Dunn who's to say that shouldn't have been Dante DiVincenzo DeAnthony Melton uh whoever else right like any type of guard who's giving a good effort off the bench and providing tangible resources to a team could mm-hmm. have been where Chris Dunn is, it, or Markel Fultz, for example, something like that. There are a lot of players left off, uh, Josh Richardson maybe, yeah. but a lot of, that happens with a lot of different things. But it's I find it most interesting to write about role players because you can find things that are under the radar, I think, because even though my Anthony Davis write-up, you talk about catch radius and how clever he is off ball and how that's really unique for a big man to be using pin downs in the middle of the floor instead of beyond the like outside the arc it's it's unique and it's a cool way for them to initiate a lot of his offense that like that seems niche because a lot of people are just like he's great but you can get so much more niche and you can provide so much more insight uh, when you're talking about a guy like Robert Covington or a guy like Kelly Oubre Jr. or something like that, you know? So I, I enjoyed those types of write-ups the most, but maybe John Morant was my favorite. Yeah, that was a good one, um, and I, I want to circle back to that in a second, too, for a, kind of another reason, but um, I, I did enjoy that one a lot, especially the Mario reference. Um, to, to go to what you're saying here about role players and stuff, um, that was one of my notes. I just had, like, a little note at the side. It's more like a comedic note than anything, but I had one to remind myself that Norm... Norman Powell is ranked at 74, and I just wanted to cape for Norman and be like, man, the guy had such a good season. Um, I just wanted to put him higher than 74. But I, I totally understand the placement. Like I said, it's, I mean, it's such a malleable thing. But, yeah, like, those are the guys that, you know, I, I've, I've been wanting to write about Norm all season, and I just really haven't had an opportunity to yet um, just because of the little changes in his game and how he's become sort of an ideal role player on a team where, at the start of the season, you know, he was looked at as a negative in terms of his, uh, when you throw in his contract in there and stuff too. So yeah, that stuff's super interesting. Marcus Smart is the guy that when I, I read, there, there was a line, what was it? The descriptor, I think you had, you called Smart's like forearms, like rebar enforced. And. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. When a player comes into the lane with the ball cradled in one hand or both, Smart's rebar enforced forearms latch on and restrict all movement until the whistle is blown. Yes, that's the that's the line. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines uh, that you wrote in this. It just it just fits so perfectly. That is Marcus Smart in a nutshell. That one line. So I love that the whole blurb on him quite a bit. Um, Smart's a player that I feel like, especially if you're a Raptors fan, and particularly Kyle Lowry fan, you're also a fan of Marcus Smart because in some ways they're fairly similar. So I really enjoyed that that little blurb, uh, and uh, I thought it was I thought it was really particularly well done. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's he's fun to write about, man. I before I started writing for Raptors Republic, I had a piece that was looking at how 
the Celtics were playing much better, winning a lot more games when Marcus Smart would shoot under 33% from the field. They had a ridiculous mm-hmm. record this one year, and I, I'm pretty sure I had some pseudoscience or a pseudoscientific idea that when Marcus Smart plays bad on offense, he has this extra motivation to be a dog on defense. And so you see the defensive rating balloon, or I should say, I guess, deflate. It, it becomes much better. It's way lower when he's shooting really bad. And you say, obviously, it's not because of this. But why is this happening? And <laughs> it's players who are super interesting like that, or like Damian Lillard, just by proxy of how consistent he's been, and also the fact that you look at the Portland Trailblazers over however many years, they've fallen off recently, mm-hmm. but they are a very winning streak heavy team. They're a streak heavy team. There are a lot of teams that they have a lot of, I guess, middling success, and they just they win, they lose, they win, they lose, they win two, they lose one. And even if you win two and lose one, you'll end up with a decent record at the end of the year. But the Trailblazers, they win a lot of games in a row, then they lose a lot of games in a row. And it's been that way ever since they drafted Dame. And I looked at this a couple of years ago and I thought, boy, that's interesting. And you look at how he plays during winning streaks and there is no discernible difference. It's, it's hard to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. But his teammates just play so much better. So then you wonder, Damian Lillard spends all his time waiting for his teammates to shoot better from the floor. And when they do, they win. And when they don't, they, they lose. And that's the macro look. The micro is obviously much different on a game-by-game basis. But there's there's a bunch of really these interesting little quirks you can look at. And that's why, you know, Katie's right up on Lowry is so fun without hardly talking about how he even plays basketball. It's just this, who yeah. is this guy? And so that's that's why this list was fun. And that's why this list was something I wanted to do because – Every player is so interesting. And maybe I fell short with a couple players as far as descriptors and really telling their story. But that's that's the motivating factor for sure. Yeah, I want to touch on Katie's blurb for a second. Because I do think it's, it's uh, even compared to all the other like guests, uh, including myself, who I did model my, uh, my blurb. Uh, a little bit after after yours, since you sent me an example, and I wanted to kind of make sure that it, it fit a little bit, which is <laughs> always, uh, that's the kind of person that I am. But Katie's is so, like, even amongst all the guests, her style is always so, uh, it stands out. And part of the reason that it, it, people were so drawn to it is because not only is it this beautiful snapshot of Lowry as a figure, as a player and a person, it's, the, it's a perfect summarization of you know, how and why he's constantly overlooked even now, but never by his peers. It's always outsiders. And it's, it's, you know, she's so good at looking at things, not like directly, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's difficult. She flips it on its head. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about Kelly Oubre Jr., how he attacks a closeout. And she's talking about Kyle Lowry's pregame interactions with coaches and players. Like, what the hell? But yeah. it's the best thing. It's it's so good. But I would have never thought to make the bulk of my write-up about a player about, you see what he's doing before games? You see how coaches are tentative around him? Mm-hmm. It's because of this. And your pre- preconceived notions are probably incorrect because if you look at the people who know most intimately, let's give you a snapshot of how they're interacting. 
And it's not even, it's hardly even about basketball. It's just, but it also alludes to his talent as a basketball player. Like it doesn't miss out on the basketball. It's describing why his basketball presence is great, but just helping do it through the eyes of others. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very, very unique, very creative and not something I would have thought to do. Yeah. It's subversive, right? It's telling a story with a story. It's, uh, it's fascinating just because it's, it's, man, it's, it's so difficult to describe. And I've thought about this even before, um, hopping on the podcast, but it really is thematic, right? Like she, she picks a theme here, which is a theme that we've all heard a million times, which is that Lowry's overlooked. Um, but it's just the way that she goes about describing it and the little bits of evidence, like the pre and post game stuff, like you were mentioning that she's using here to talk about it, you know, how Kyle isn't a guy that screams for your eyes. He's not a Zion-esque player. He's in all those quiet moments, to quote T.S. Eliot, you know, in the in the quiet moments, there the dance is. That's sort of, you know, how she's going about this. And that's just like, you don't see that very much, right? And I, and I feel like that's why that kind of thing stands out so much for people. Um, and it's just like, yeah, it was it was one of the big takeaways from from the overall piece, just her, how how much her style contrasts, and and because of that, you know how many ways there really are to write about sports because it's not like anybody else who contributed here like didn't, didn't do you know their blurbs well like everything was really good there wasn't any single thing I, I read where I was like I just don't like I don't agree with this or I think this was poorly written it's just it shows you the different ways that you can go about doing this. And I, I really do think that's, that's something that's super valuable and like, you know, it wouldn't have come about if you hadn't made a list like this. Yeah. The thing is about Katie is she does bring to light how many different ways you can tell a story. And the first thing I ever read of Katie's was from her newsletter because mm-hmm. my exposure to Katie was just seeing her be, you know, witty and fun on Twitter but then I talked to a couple of people and they said, oh, no, this newsletter, you should be reading it. And the first paragraph I wrote, she was describing like how sun came through a window and hit a certain spot on the floor. And her <laughs> newsletter isn't always about basketball, as you probably know. Mm-hmm. And just hearing her describe, she could describe a plate sitting on a table <laughs> and suddenly it would be enthralling and have you lacrimose. It's she can tease emotions and meaning out of things that I from very few people I've ever seen before and certainly not from people who typically write nonfiction like basketball she is a singular force in the NBA sphere as far as writing right now I don't know anybody else who does it like her and maybe you should have her on the podcast (laughs) and you could do like an hour breakdown of her blurb it's or just her writing at all that would be she's fantastic well, it's funny you mentioned that. She was actually on my podcast. The last episode I did was with Katie, and we talked about egg her. Egg on uh, my face. Absolutely <laughs> egg on my face because I obviously didn't listen. <laughs> how embarrassing. Uh, it's okay, man. Uh, I don't know how many people actually listen to me ramble anyway, but um, anyone who comes comes for the guests 100%. Um, but, no, Katie was great, um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, and like I had this discussion with her about, you know, in my experience in, in the sports writing sphere has been that, uh, I've, I've come to sort of have this personal uh, thoughts on this sort of divide where there are people who love sports so much and they and they get into sports 
and they end up writing and they find that they like writing and, and maybe they become really great writers and whatever, but they liked sports first and those people are always sports writers and they just, I, they see themselves as sports writers and everyone else sees them as sports writers. And then there are people who sort of fall sideways into sports and they started as writers, just writers, not sports writers. They maybe always liked sports, um, but that was never, you know, the singular focus here. And, you know, Katie's always struck me as the latter, you know, just, she's a writer. She could write about anything and it will be interesting. Like you said, she could write about a plate and it'd be fascinating. So of course, when she writes about sports, it's fascinating, but it's because she has this different perspective because she's not, you know, I don't just look at her as a sports writer. I just look at her as a writer. And, um, there seems to be that that's very clear to me now when I look at uh, how the industry works, especially in, in, you know, in Canada and the States, it's just, it's very, uh, I think, I think it's honestly becoming pretty obvious, but at the same time, it's, it's neat that, like I mentioned way earlier about the, the merging of sort of the blog world and the, and the uh, major outlets and the industry that way, it's sort of uh, becoming less of a norm to have that divide. And now those sorts of things are crossing over. Like, you know, you can read Katie's work all over the place because she's a magnificent writer. But, you know, there are more people who have their own particular styles, like Katie, who are just writers. They're becoming more, uh, you know, there's more prominence in uh, of those kind of people than there used to be. And um, I think that's been a really cool development as well. And it's always just, it's nice to see that kind of stuff, um, you know, stick out among, amongst uh, all the stuff that we're used to. That's not necessarily, it's not that it's bad, just we're used to it. So, you know, everything has a place. Yeah, there's there's definitely, there's a bunch of different skills to be applied to NBA writing or podcasting or whatever it ends up being. Because there's, for example, I can't remember, I think it was Dan Devine last year raving about, I believe it's Blake's Raptors recalibration. It's this yeah. wonderful distillation of, Game one, two, three, whatever game happened in the playoffs, Blake is like, let me take you through the most important moments. And he's not dressing up a bunch of different narratives. He's trying to give you this, right. a, a, an objective look into what's happening. And yep. I guess for myself, podcasting, the, the reaction podcast, I watch the game. I take diligent notes. I see if I can distill the game touch on all the the right moments that helped win the game or lose the game the the big players and i try and distill that and put it in a a palatable place so that whoever's listening can take what i say and use it as fodder for water cooler talk or maybe just so that they can learn about the game or maybe so they can say this guy's an idiot but there's (laughs) there's just so many different roles to fill because there's so many different ways to look at things. And right. I think Katie's version of doing it is underrepresented. Yeah. But maybe that's why we have such a we, – we really love what she does because in our sphere, in our, in our business. Yeah. Yeah, it's all part of the larger paradigm, the, uh, the um, sort of the ecosystem of sports journalism. And I do think it's – fewer it's harder to find writers like katie but when you do find them um i think they're important to elevate and lift up so that hopefully more people see that kind of stuff and you know will uh will find that hey maybe i can i can kind of write this way too i can use my own voice and it doesn't have to be sounding like like somebody else or like the typical sort of uh journalism style that maybe i've been taught 
uh, whether in, in school or just by reading other people or whatever it may be. So I think that's important. It does, this does kind of bleed into one of my more like writing focused questions. And we're obviously already talking about writing here, but like your particular approach about, uh, with the blurbs, they're more, so when I read them, they're more coming from a stag, uh, pragmatic standpoint. So like you make sure to mention, you know, the, the strengths and flaws of guys' games, the key moments of their season, some notable stats sometimes, stuff like that. So like very good um, summarizations, but was it like a specific choice to talk about things that way? Or did you just kind of organically, is that how you're, you're, you thought like, you know, if I'm doing a blurb, this is just like, this is the way that I'm going to do it. Like you didn't have to think about it that much. Because, you know, there are definitely, uh, it was one of the struggles I actually had when I was uh, initially starting to write my blurb about Siakam, not only that, you know, his season's been so up and down, but it's like, you could, you could tell this little story, this little blurb in in a bunch of different ways. Um, And, you know, which, which one am I going to choose to go about doing it? And, you know, you kind of make a choice at the end of the day. But I'm curious if like that sort of mindset was a thing for you at all when you were writing uh, your blurbs. Yeah, I think it comes naturally to me to I am a pragmatic person and I yeah. as much as I love the Toronto Raptors, the future of my writing, I think I do want to be I would fit closer into the the monolith of sports writing practices where I'm trying to give you this look at the game because mm-hmm. I don't think that um writing like Katie is is my talent for example or taking this step out and giving you that new look in, or I haven't developed that skill yet. And right now I tend to try and give this pragmatic look at the game and punch in some humor every once in a while, like the podcast. Um, I, I usually try and give a really accurate rundown of what I saw during the game. And that includes praising the other team, saying what the Raptors have done bad, and then maybe doing a an impression every once in a while just for <laughs> comedic value, whatever it ends up being. Yeah. But I do trend towards pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Is I'm very pragmatic in the way I try and approach it. So I wanted to capture, try and capture the, the essence of what the player has done, the highlights, the lows. And I didn't have to do that specifically, like think, okay, good, bad. I think that all comes together in my brain, and that's why I didn't lay out. Um, earlier in the podcast, you highlighted how some people use polling or some people use very rigid statistical um, leanings or statistical hierarchies to fit players into their rankings. And that's that's okay. I think that takes a lot of work, and that's great. Andy Bailey, you know, he's made lists for Bleacher Report, and it was very rigid Mm-hmm. Very much this is this the weight of this statistic, the weight of this accomplishment equals X. Right. And I'll combine these things and then the outcome will be whatever it ends up being. Mine is very fluid and unique to myself. So even though it was pragmatic, I'm just fluidly seeing how I feel about a player. But also it's subject to change by how much film I write film I watch, sorry. I look at the playtype statistics I because I want to watch all the film. That includes highlights and full play. So you're watching how they're getting around screens. You're watching when they're involved in actions off ball. And then you're looking at their playtype to see if that matches up, to see if you're missing anything. And then at the end of it all, I, I see maybe something I've missed and look for the correct answer to that. But I would write a blurb. And then I would edit the blurb while looking at the film 
or looking at the play type data to see if my preconceived notion of a player was incorrect. And I found that the closest way to get to objectivity, at least through my lens, was doing that. To write what I thought so I could capture the initial punch and the initial flair of what I think of this player. And then editing it down by actually diving into everything they do more intimately. And then coming out at the end with, okay, this is what I think this player is right now. Yeah, organically, I think, is sort of, if you can, I think that's honestly always the best way to write. Um, and you can always like go back and you know, look at what you've put down and edit it and do a second draft or however you want to do it. But like, I do think initially writing things organically is typically... I like it best just because it feels truest to yourself and your own style if if you're comfortable already, which is which is neat. And obviously, um, <clears throat> like you mentioned, you're doing all this this work to make sure that each story is in some way, you know, it's as clear as possible and as correct as possible. And uh, I think that's, you know, I mean, and when it comes to doing lists and doing stuff like this, I mean, you can't really like ask for much more in terms of giving someone a clear summarization of a guy's season in just like a couple hundred words. So um, I, I think your process there was obviously uh, good and uh, one that uh, hopefully <laughs> people with other lists are, are sort of taking that same sort of direction. But um, I wanted to ask, this is the first time you've done a list, right? Like you've never done one before. Yeah, I've never done anything like this. <laughs> so did it feel like more of a marathon than other things you've written? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. This was a slog, man. And it's, I knew it would be. I absolutely knew it would be because that was when I was talking to Blake about it, I had started writing and I said, hey, I'm thinking I'm going to break this into four parts. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, if it's just a couple sentences, um, you could probably get away with doing the whole thing. And I was like, oh, no, no. I'm doing like 200 to 250 words on every player. <laughs> oh, holy shit. Okay. Yeah, you should break that into parts. Yeah. And then once I actually started to sit down and do it, I was like, okay, this is the way to do it. This is – I wouldn't ever just do a list because if it's only a little bit, then it's then it's bad. Then it's just the list. But right. this, right. I get to write, and then it's a piece. Yeah. Then something like that. And I knew going into that 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 was obviously the way I wanted to do it. But but I knew it would be a slog. <laughs> I can usually, uh, to reference your comment on writing things organically, I when I'm writing something like obviously I do a lot of uh, game prep and um, post game stuff for Raptors Republic and breakdowns of things that are going on that's very specific and that requires work and it's not so organic it's you're looking at what happened but when i'm writing about a player for example my piece on terrence davis second a couple weeks ago now or a week ago i can't remember that was organic i wanted to write about terrence davis a second so i did and so i knew that would happen with this and i knew that it would take a lot of work and luckily i had a couple weeks to work on it and uh yeah it was it was a slog, though, and I knew it would be. I knew it wouldn't just – I knew 24,000 words <laughs> on 100 different topics would not come easily. It's not like you can just go pound out 3,000 words on one player and it all follows the same line of thinking. It's these stagnated start, 
stop because the players aren't connected. They're completely yeah. disconnected. So every single one is this, okay, I finished D'Angelo Russell. Now I have to start Fred Van Vliet. And it's a completely, you restart the whole process. And each process is the same, but also very different. And I, yes, I knew it would be <laughs> a lot of work going into it. But I'm happy I'm done. This is, <laughs> I'm doing this podcast with you because I remember when you first started this podcast, I messaged you and I said, that's a great idea for a podcast. I love that. And so when you asked me to be on, I was like, hell yes, I love the idea for this podcast. I'm a huge fan of Josh. So yes, I'll go on. But after this, I'm taking a couple weeks break and I'm just turning off NBA. I might not even go on Twitter. Um, I, I got to do that that giveaway um, with the, the mic and equipment that so many other people pledged to, which thank God for them. That was great. Mm -hmm. And I'm fully done with Twitter for a couple weeks, I think. And after this, I'm going to shut my brain off, I think. But yeah, it was it was so much work. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, well, well-deserved break for you. I'm uh, after all this. I'm sure it it took just endless amounts of time. It, it looks uh, like it did. If you read through the whole thing, you can tell that this clearly is well thought through and well researched and all that stuff. I guess sort of like one of the last uh, things I want to hit on here before you go into hibernation is um, like writing about. I guess just writing in general, but writing during a pandemic. So, you know, clearly you've been working on this and, and writing during the pandemic. And there's been a lot of different uh, discussions about writing during the pandemic from tons of different writers that I've seen. And I find them all fascinating, all valid, all important. Um, but I'm curious to see where you land sort of on the spectrum of, you know, I've heard a lot of writers describe this time, this, uh, you know, just period of of the pandemic of sort of the world stopping um you know the the sands not falling in the hourglass kind of thing and i've heard a lot of describer uh, writers describe this as sort of like a writing fog for them not necessarily writer's block but a writing fog and they can't manage to get out of it because there's just everything is sort of stopped there is no and we don't you know nobody really knows what's coming next or what's at the end or whatever so there's just fog and they find it difficult to write and yet others on the other side of the spectrum they've been you know well I've got all this free time I need to do something um I can find it within myself to write and I'm going to be doing a lot of that because I'm able to and you know it's something to do and all that sort of stuff um like you know we've mentioned uh, Katie a bunch on this podcast but um it's been really impressive to me how, you know, she's continued to put out a, a ton of different things, you know, uh, each week, and it hasn't seemed to, uh, you know, be that, that difficult for her, or maybe that's her response uh, to this entire thing. So I'm just curious, you know, and then, and then there's other people, like, I've only written a few things during this uh, pandemic, partly because of I, I do lean more towards the side of there's a sort of a writing fog, but how has it been for, for you during this entire experience? Um, I'll start off by saying that there are some people who are clearly, they, they deserve to be able to talk about a whole bunch of things because they are so well-reasoned, well-read, and in intelligent. And those people can write about all the different factors that are impacting the NBA intelligently, and they can do so without without sounding dumb. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. I, 
I do think I'm a really sharp guy. Yep. I also know I'm young. I know I try to read a lot, and I really try to keep up with what's going on. However, comma, I don't think I'm the prevailing voice on a lot of things that are going on in the world right now. Hmm. I just try to amplify the voices that I would take notes from. It, you know, I'm sure you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. And so as far as a writing fog, I didn't really push anything, A, because freelance opportunities have almost completely been shut down at this point. Yeah. And the the traffic on Raptors Republic leads to, you know, kind of a, I would say, a diminishing return for work, let's say. And so while, yes, like I, I tried to pitch, I talked to Vivek, to Vivek about, pitching to complex um and and other places like the list because i knew the list was going to be really good and so i wanted to you know make see if i could get some good money for it that didn't happen it was still important to me to do it so it went on raptors public and i got a bunch of different people to jump in which was great but there is a kind of a diminishing return on writing right now at least in the position where i'm at right now and I assume for a lot of different writers, Katie, luckily, was already an established freelancer for quite a few different places. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to establish new contacts to provide her with new writing opportunities. So the writing fog for a lot of people, because so much of the, I guess, the place is freelance, so much of our sphere is freelance, Mm -hmm. has been completely, the tap is run dry. So that happened. Um, I haven't done a podcast since I did the one with Lucas Weiss where we talked about COVID and holy crap, the NBA is, it's on sabbatical. And because I thought, you know what, that seems contrived. I don't want to make anything about basketball right now. I don't think I know enough. I know everybody makes fun of, I believe it's Nate Duncan for basically trying to get a PhD in COVID so that he can bring (laughs) the latest news on how close basketball is to getting over the COVID hump. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. And I don't think that I'm going to be the guy whose voice anybody should be listening to. So I took a break from all that. And I just got to, when I did the list, I was like, you know what, I'll just focus on this. And it's not even about navigating the pandemic for that. It's not about the how the players are getting through it. It's about what the players did before the pandemic. And that's why it was very important for me to highlight in the article if the season were to go back to normal, because right. I can write from a place of normalcy. I don't have to consider the, I guess, the mitigating factors of the of the pandemic. I can just write about their seasons. So as far as a writing fog or a podcast fog or whatever, my work fog, yes, there has been one. But there's a bunch of different things because, yes, there is this stasis that the world is in, of course. But also there's a diminishing return for a lot of workers right now. And honestly, I didn't want to force it. And I didn't think that my voice was so important that it needs to be heard. I just thought I'd take this time to work on myself is, uh, as cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's uh, a good and worthy perspective to have. I think that more people should probably have that perspective in general, um, right now, just the way the world is, um, not just with COVID obviously, but, um, with everything going on with the black lives matter movement and all that stuff, it's, it's important, especially, you know, depending on, on who you are, what your background is, all of these factors, but it really is a, a, 
a very um, vital time for people to be introspective and thoughtful and, um, you know, be amplifying the right voices, the right ideas, you know, to, to be the best kind of, uh, I guess, just in general people we can be, um, in some cases, allies that we can be, all that stuff. So that's that's all important. And, I, you know, I, I feel similarly with a lot of things. I mean, part of the reason I haven't written some things is because, uh, I just feel like I'm not the person to write them. Um, I feel like there are certain things where you can write, you, you know, you can write things to an extent. And once you reach that extent, you've hit your limit. And just based on your personal experience, your background, all these things that make up you as a person, you can be as thoughtful as you possibly can, but you're not going to be able to be as authentic as you need to be um, with writing certain things. And maybe just those aren't the things for you to be writing. And there's a lot of stuff like that right now in this time, uh, in the fog. And, uh, so, you know, I've, I've felt that, that pull for myself where it's, you know, thoughts even that maybe, maybe I should, because I feel like I have something to say on this. I have obviously opinions on this, but at the same time, maybe, you know, I just can't get to the point that I, I need to be able to, because I'm not the right voice to be writing on this right now. So, um, yeah, I relate to those feelings for sure. And, um, I think, uh, I think that's a really like, important perspective to have. Like I said, I think that's, uh, something that, you know, everybody should kind of be looking at. So, um, I feel like that's a, that's a pretty good place to leave off, I guess. I want to thank you for coming on again, Samson, as always, for sure. It's been a while since I've had you on this pod. Really excited that you came on the pod. Love the uh, top 100 list. It's fantastic. If people haven't read it again, you can go, you can read it on raptorsrepublic.com. That's where it is right now, live, four pieces, four parts. Um, you can check out all the other great writers that we've been talking about throughout the course of this podcast who are all on there it's all fantastic so yeah man good job good work enjoy your sort of sabbatical from social media and basketball and everything else and uh is there anything else uh, you want to plug before we go here uh yeah um listener if you're a fan of josh um do yourself and him a favor read the silmarillion and then <laughs> fire questions at him about it so that he can engage in more Tolkien talk because I, I know he's jonesing for it. This is true. This is not a lie. Uh, I will engage in any Tolkien or Tolkien-related discussion. Um, I'm very excited about it. My uh, my girlfriend actually sent me a message was yesterday or something about um, a bit of Tolkien news that they're creating a... Uh, a nature of Middle Earth book. Someone's going about and doing that, and not just like nature as in like physical nature, it's also like the metaphysical aspects of nature. Some of the last stuff Tolkien had as notes before he died. And um, I'm very excited about that. I missed that news. Um, my significant other was very elated that she managed to find some Tolkien news that I hadn't seen yet, um, which, was, which was cool. So yes, anything Tolkien related, I would love to talk about. Uh, R.I.P. Ian Holm as well. Bilbo Baggins. But yeah, I uh, love that stuff. <laughs> Thanks for the shout out there. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank um, you so much for having me on, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming on. We'll have to do more of these in the future for sure. You're one of my favorite people to talk to in general, but also on all things sports and sports adjacent in this sort of crazy hemisphere. Um, it's always uh, nice to read you as well because you're a thoughtful writer, thoughtful person in general. So thank you again for coming on. Um, yeah, listener, if you are looking for this Writer's uh, Write podcast, that is what it's called, the Writer's Write podcast, you can find it on Anchor.fm or the Anchor app. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, you can also find the pod on Twitter at Writer's Write Pod. 
where I post links to the episodes and the links as well to the articles of my guests. And until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, um, and you can find my own on- online work at places like Raptors Republic and Sportsnet.ca. And uh, did you want to plug your Twitter real quick, Samson? No, that's okay. If they're listening to this, <laughs> I hope they enjoyed it. And uh, if they read my stuff, that's all the support I need. Good or successful, stay away from it. <laughs> all right, you heard that here first. Just don't uh, don't go to Twitter if you don't have it. All right, thanks for listening, and, and have a have a great day.